0: Welcome to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit, we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. On today's episode, we speak with Travis Haler, a USD alum doing exciting work at Google and transformational organizational change. Travis, how are you doing this morning? Doing well, how are you? I'm doing excellent, thank you. Now, what is your connection to USD? Yeah. So uh, USD was where I did my undergraduate
1: uh, in psychology. I then came back to do my MBA at USD. Um, so lots of connections to USD. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be married to someone who also works at USD. So always coyote everything.
0: Now, did you grow up in the area then or what led you to USD?
1: Yeah. So I grew up in Webster, South Dakota. So um, just up the road a couple hours. Um, USD was really an option from my perspective because it was one, a school that a lot of my friends weren't going to, so it was an opportunity to kind of try something new and meet new people, um, and also I loved the campus. I came down and visited campus with my parents, and um, the first person I ran into was uh, Marin Cullen, uh who was an ambassador at the time, and if anyone's ever met Marin, you, you never forget her, and she's fantastic, and so she really sold me on the university, and I was so excited to come here.
0: Now, uh, what do you do now, I guess?
1: Yeah, so now I work for Google. Um, I am the change in culture lead for our America's region. Um, recently just changed as of Monday to be uh, Culture and Transformation, so still getting used to the new title. Um, but I oversee all of our efforts within Google Cloud um, for... Canada, North America, or Canada, Americas, um, Central America, LATAM, and basically what that entails is I work with our largest customers, which we call our marquee customers. Um, typically, it's over um, at least fifty thousand employees, over uh, ten million commit It's kind of getting up there to about twenty million commits at this point. Um, but I help them go through the the change journey that is adopting new technology. And so they're coming to Google looking for answers um, to big problems, like we need to be more efficient, we need to optimize our processes, and we need to move to the cloud, which is what everyone's doing right now. And so the biggest thing that I do for them is I help map out that entire plan and help them plan for their transformation. And so that's about 60% of my time is working directly with our customers, their C-suite, their VPs, helping them kind of figure out what their transformation plan is and where people fit into that mix. So we know what the technology is going to be, but when it comes to people, oftentimes we forget about everyone who works at our company when we go through a large scale change. So that's my job, is to make sure no one ever forgets the people. And so from there, I basically spend the rest of my 40% working on new methodologies of how to adopt changes, working on um, new ways of working, working on new products that we have coming out, and then doing things like this, or speaking on stages around the world um, talking about Google and our culture.
0: Well, I mean, that's such an interesting job. And I think, it you know, even your title kind of implies it, right? It's this kind of transformational um, aspect when a company uh, switches more to a a digital platform. What are, in your experience, I guess, the roadblocks um, that you have commonly found when you work with some of your clients? Yeah, well, there's
1: lots of them. Um, But I think the biggest thing that we forget is that as humans, we're basically prone to make mistakes and we're prone to resist change. And so part of my background as well is neuroscience and neuropsychology. So figuring out kind of what makes humans tick essentially and how our brain works. And a lot of times when I get into conversations with executives, we start talking about, you know, here's kind of the things that we can do. Here are The options you have for technology, here's the way that you can move forward. And I get a lot of pushback from executives saying, well, I don't think our teams will adopt that. I don't think they'll want to do that. I don't think they'll adopt that change or that they'll be resistant to it. And so a lot of my job is really getting them over the hurdle of understanding that resistance is totally normal, and it's completely ingrained in our brain, right? So we have our brain is functionally made to basically be as efficient as possible. So anything that disrupts our day-to-day motions is going to be resisted because we don't want to do anything that causes us to use more energy. So when we kind of understand that humans are going to just resist any type of change, you start looking at it differently. And so the hurdles that I help them overcome is, okay, so we need to communicate more. We need to make sure that people understand what's coming. We need to offer opportunities to make sure that they're prepared for this new way of life. And um, most importantly, we need to make sure that we're maintaining or changing the culture that they currently have at their business. And a lot of times we have older companies, you know, 100-year-old companies coming to us saying, we need to adopt new cultural norms. And we've gotten into a rut where, you know, people are kind of just doing the motions. We need to be more innovative. We need to push that culture of innovation. And so through this transformation journey, we build in ways that we're actually going to start changing the culture, changing how people
0: think. That's interesting to me. I mean, you... Obviously, I've talked about a little bit about maybe some of the roadblocks. What are maybe the benefits of um, embracing change um, almost as kind of an operational principle? I mean, I, I feel like that's maybe part of the struggle with technology is that it's not just something that you can do once. It's almost something that you have to do constantly. Um, what are the advantages, I guess, to moving to, to you know the platform, obviously, that you work with? But overall, what are the benefits maybe to embracing that mindset? Yeah. So...
1: Oftentimes when when we talk about change, you know, more people resist change than adopt change just on their own, right? So I think one of the big factors that is really important when you're thinking about, hey, who do I want to be on this scale? Do I want to be someone who's resisting or do I want to be someone who's naturally kind of adopting and ready to take on that next challenge? We're in this world where challenges and changes come every single day, and um, everything that we do is so fast paced. It's faster than it's ever been in the, in the history of the world. So change is inevitable. So the people who really actually embrace change as an opportunity, I see consistently overall taking on new roles. Um, a lot of times they're you know, put on pedestals by leadership and shown as an example of what they're looking for in their employees. And so when, we, when I talk to employees, I'm like, this is kind of your opportunity, right? Like, this is the time that you can take to say, hey, I want to make sure that I'm part of the right side of history, right, of this, of this company and of this change. And it really propels them forward in their careers. Um, a lot of times they end up being, you know, a level up, two levels up by the time we're done with things. They're integral in the actual implementation. It provides so many opportunities for them to even change jobs and switch what they're doing today.
0: Well, it's funny you say that. And this kind of leads into my next question, I think, is for me, you think about a concept like technology, and I think there's one way to view it where you just go, well, it's a tool. And just like a hammer and a nail, you know, I get on a computer, I type. Um, But how does that interplay with the actual, like, culture of an organization? I mean, you talk about how... when, you know, a a large corporation maybe embraces one of these technologies, it is disruptive um, to the day-to-day work product that an employee um, might put out or the tasks that they're assigned to do. So how does technology, I guess, interplay with with a culture of a company like that? Yeah. um, So
1: they play very nicely together, actually. But a lot of times, I think, we are looking for technology to solve problems, and sometimes we're just looking to swap out technologies. So it kind of depends on what the company is actually looking to do. Um, most companies that I see be very successful with both technology changes as well as culture changes are looking to truly change the way that they work, and that's something that I love about Google's products. Is um, something as simple as G Suite, like Gmail, Docs, Sheets, Slides, all of that inherently changes the way that we interact with one another. So that automatically changes and pro- creates an opportunity really for the company to change the way that we are using our tools and communicating to one another. Um, something like Google's cloud platform will allow their developers and their more IT-specific organizations to adopt new ways of working to streamline processes. And we're seeing a lot of um, companies going from their on-premise, uh, you know, having servers and warehouses full of servers, um, into our cloud technology. And basically there are lots of roles that have to maintain a server and a server farm within a warehouse for a company. And essentially those jobs now no longer exist, right? So this actually causes us to think about where can we utilize that talent and that talent pool into cloud operations. And so it it really enables that organization to think through, hey, who are the next leaders of our company? How can we bring in all of these new all of this talent that we currently had doing one thing and focus the energies on something completely different? And so in doing that, you're already changing the culture of the business.
0: Yeah, I want to back up a second. How did you get to Google? I mean, we, we know that you started at USD. Um, you went back uh, for a master's program. But w- I, I guess w- what steps kind of are, are in between there?
1: Yeah, well, it's a lot of steps, a lot of falls, and probably a lot of tripping along the way. But um, I left USD after my MBA, and I started working for Target Corporation. Um, and I was doing store operations for a region within the Minneapolis area. And um, with that, I started helping out with some of the technology implementations that Target was doing at the time. Um, anyone familiar with Target knows that they have kind of jumped between their own systems of, you know, kind of doing loyalty and rewards on their own to then switching to outsource vendors and coming back to their own in-house. So there's a lot of that. like We're going to one technology, moving back to a different technology, things like that. Um, and I started really enjoying that. So I had the opportunity to become a district resource and help out some other other stores within the district do that same thing. Um, once I kind of figured out that that was what I really enjoyed um, and on top of managing a lot of people within a store, I decided it was time to take a new step and and go towards kind of my passion, which was actually helping to go through change. At the time, I didn't realize that's what I loved. Um, I just knew that I really liked technology and implementing technology and helping people go through that change. Um, So I took a role with a small firm in um, Minneapolis called Protivity. It's a consulting firm. Traditionally, it's worked a lot with um, internal audit customers and it's a part of Robert Half International. So it's a large blanket overhead company with a very small niche consulting firm within it. Um, And what I did there was I did business process improvement. So I went into companies, small companies, and helped them really think through what was the process that they had today and what were they going to do tomorrow, whether it was just changing the way that they worked or changing the technology altogether. Um, And that really opened a lot of doors for me. And actually, that was kind of, I think, a turning point in my own career. Um, Because after about a year, uh, Deloitte Consulting in Chicago um, poached me from Prativity and brought me into what they called then the human capital and organizational change management practice um, within the U- US basically. And what what I did there was all centered around strategic change and it was only about the people. And so that was really when I realized that what I actually liked about technology and implementation was actually planning for people. Um, so what we did was training, we did a lot of planning for transformational projects, all of that, um, I was at Deloitte for over three years, um, worked with tons of companies, um, had a great experience, but ultimately lots of travel. So I decided to look for a new opportunity. Um, This was three years ago now. Um, I went to work for Allstate Insurance. So they kind of looked me up while I was at Deloitte and we were doing some work with them. And they said, you know, would you ever consider coming in and helping us set up change management practice, something that we can actually have within our company to help us overcome changes that are going to happen. And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I went to Allstate for about a year and helped them set up within their management consulting space, a change management practice. Um, And it was tons of fun, lots of good opportunities. Um, Anyone that knows Allstate knows that they're kind of trying to rebrand themselves and rededicate themselves to becoming a really innovative company. Um, So I saw a lot of innovation there, a lot of new ways of working, a lot of changes of the workforce um, culturally. And then Google came calling with an opportunity to do the exact same thing for Google, only Google Cloud and overseeing all of the Americas region. Um, And actually that started out as just being the change lead for the U.S. And after about three months, it was change lead for North America. And then after about six more months, it was change lead for the Americas, including Latam and Central America. Um, and since then, we've gone through a number of branding changes. But that's kind of how I came to be at Google.
0: And all from Vermilion, you get to do this? So now I
1: do. Yeah. So I lived in Chicago for, um, I think it was about four or five years uh, through Deloitte and then Allstate. And then when I started out at Google, I was in Chicago. Um, and that's one of our main offices for cloud. Um, my husband got an opportunity here in Vermillion at the University of South Dakota. So I had the, uh, I had the great opportunity to move back. Um, thankfully, Google was very supportive of that. And with my job being heavily travel forward, um, they were okay with me kind of splitting my time between South Dakota and Chicago.
0: We love Brian at the law school, so we'll give him a shout out here um, well, no, I, I think that's such a cool story because I think that a lot of times, especially when you know you're twenty one twenty two and you 're rapidly approaching you know graduation age, you start to go, "Huh, what am I going to do now right and I think your personal journey reflects that <clears throat> you kind of need to embrace change I, i'm curious what would you What advice would you give maybe a a student at that kind of age level who's starting to think about their professional career and they know they want to maybe do something significant, but they they're not hundred percent sure what that would be. What advice would you give them?
1: Well, I think um, what I see from students right now, I work with a lot of students when I'm at Google. Um, We do a lot of student days, a lot of engineering days, a lot of women in tech days. um, And we do that through high school and college. So I've had a lot of opportunity to talk to a lot of college students. Um, I see that want to make an impact really early, um, which is fantastic. I mean, don't ever not want to make an impact. But what I see is this kind of holding out for that perfect role. Um, And quite frankly, you can make an impact from anywhere. Um, I don't think you need to be in the perfect role. Um, A couple of great pieces of, of advice that I've learned and been told throughout my career is, one, it's much easier to find that perfect job when you have a job. Um, it's always much easier to look for another opportunity when you're actually employed, you have experience, and you're, you're able to speak more candidly about that experience in an interview. It's really hard to make your um, experience very relevant to a new job interview when you aren't currently working in a role. Um, the second piece would be just always realizing that I think we have a lot of high achievers here in South Dakota. Um, I see that because we, we t- typically have smaller schools. So I think there's a lot of people who want to be overachievers, you know, in sports. If you go to a big, a big school in, let's say, New York or California, you maybe played a, one sport. Um, in South Dakota, you probably played all of the sports, right? Because we needed those people to have a team. Um, so a lot of people in South Dakota tend to be a little bit overachieving, which I love. And I come from that as well. However, we have to realize that in the world, someone's always going to be better than us anyone, from anywhere. And I think that's a hard lesson as someone coming from, you know, a state where you're involved in everything, you, you do well in school, you do well in, in your jobs outside of school, to actually embrace the fact that, hey, you know what, I don't have to be the best in the world at the thing that I'm doing. I just have to be the best me. And so I think that that would help a lot of students figure out that it's not about actually finding that perfect job. It's about being the best you can be in the role you're in and continuing to look for opportunities to grow.
0: I think that resonates with my kind of professional journey too. You know something you said just kind of struck a chord with me, and I feel like you it, it it's something that you might read like in a news article about a description of like millennials and it's they want to make an impact they They have a social awareness that maybe previous generations uh had but didn't want it reflected necessarily in their work product or they didn't see those coexisting in the same way. I'm curious with your role. How big are those generational divides? You know, how how do they impact companies and how do... I guess companies from an organizational and structural level like recognize that they are real and then, you know, in, in a certain instance, embrace it and try to get the talent that you can get from people who are experienced, people who have different viewpoints. Uh, how, how does all of that work together in a way that, you know, effectively moves an organization forward rather than, you know, kind of screeches it to a halt? A very difficult question,
1: of course, for a lot of companies. They're all asking that question, right? Um, in the workforce today, we have at least three generations existing at the same time, all of which with different values, different backgrounds, different um, stages in life. I, I think that's super difficult when it comes to actually thinking about large scale changes, right? Um, I think personally, we make a lot of assumptions about generations, and a lot of them are based in some type of fact, but have been over you know overplayed really um, I see from companies that we work with overwhelmingly we have older generations that are embracing new technologies, new ways of working. I go into companies and i ha- I have people who've worked for companies for thirty years coming up to me and saying. Oh, finally, we're gonna make a real change. This is gonna be something totally different for us. We're finally moving in a different direction. I think the workforce as a whole is hungry for change. They want to make that impact. And I think that's the same for all generation levels. Um, It's just now it's much more in front of you, right? Like it's not so much that, oh, I wanna kind of make an impact sometime. It's, hey, I can make an impact right now. Like our world and society that we live in allows me to have a platform at this company. And so i actually see that a lot of generations are looking for the same thing they're just expressing it differently our millennials are wanting to make the impact right away they're wanting to have higher level jobs because education was a requirement for them and the fact that they had to have that higher education makes them want those jobs of more strategy management etc that's what we've groomed right um where we have older generations looking at their at their world and their job and saying hey, I'm kind of at where I want to be. I feel confident in my role, my position, but we need to move things forward as a company. So they're wanting to make an impact to last and make the company better as a whole.
0: No, that that's interesting to think over. I mean, I know it's all probably situational, but if you were going to just offer one piece of kind of blanket advice to any company um, about a way to improve I guess the way it's managed or run or, or the way they make decisions, what would it be? I think there's lots of them actually.
1: But um, if I, besides pushing my own product and saying you should be moving to the cloud, of <laughs> course, and embracing new right. technology, um, outside of that, I think the biggest thing is that together we make a bigger impact than we do individually. A lot of companies are set up in a situation where it's very siloed. It's very much you are this function, you are this role in that function, and that's where you sit and you play. Um, That's not the way of the world anymore. We need lots of people from lots of different backgrounds to come in and weigh in on what we're doing, the next steps that we're taking, new products, new offerings, all of that. And if I can use one example, um, at Google – I think everyone knows everything about Google. Google's business is very much out there. Anytime we make a slip up or a mistake, it's very much front page news, right? Um, One of those mistakes and slip ups was a couple years ago when Google Images started doing reverse image search, right? You could upload an image, it would search the web for like images or the exact same image, and it would give you a result. Well, what was happening was people were putting in pictures of African-Americans, and they were getting other African-Americans, but also gorillas and other things of dark skin, right? Problem was, that team that developed that had no one of African-American descent on that team. So when they were doing all the testing, they never tested that. It's a perfect example of you need all sorts of different backgrounds and different ideas and, and thinking on a team to make the best impact and the best solution,
0: that's a that's an interesting story it's one of those where you don't you think about like intentionality where you know i don't think these people are intentionally leaving it out they just right. didn't think to include it right um and i also it makes me think of your background when you just said that it's valuable to have different perspectives and you know you're someone that talks about cultural change digital technology neurosciences you worked for a accounting firm of a fairly prestigious nature you just have a background and experiences in a lot of different areas you know how has that benefited you professionally and do you think that that is kind of the way of the future with young students who are graduating from the b school that they just like have to keep learning that they have to keep gaining new skills in different areas and that that's ultimately going to be what makes them successful absolutely
1: um so my background i i think Part of it is I just have varied interests, so I was always interested in trying different things, learning new things, and that to me kind of led on my path of lots of different experiences. Um, What I'm seeing in the market today, and I talk to a lot of CHROs and heads of of HR, people like that, and what I'm kind of helping them understand is, at Google we have a bit of a methodology when it comes to hiring. Um, We hire for a couple of different things. Uh, There's four specific interviews that we do. One is um, basically a skills assessment, so do you have the skills and knowledge to do the role? The second is about leadership. it's have you done leadership roles? Have you done something that has led something else or been involved with a major you know milestone in a program? Um, and really, the third and fourth are around culture fit, and one of those is what we call googliness, and it's a very weird term and th- quite frankly, we call each other a lot of different names. Googlers is how we refer to ourselves internally at the company. Um, We have all sorts of different groups that utilize that name, um, but we call it Googliness, and Googliness is not a definition. It's a style of personality and a style of culture, Um, and it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So... What I, when I think about Googliness, what I think about is the fact that we're not looking for someone, I will say Googliness is 50% of the interview. So there's four interviews, but one interview of that is worth 50%. So if you don't pass that interview, there's no way you're going to get the job. So with Googliness, the way I like to think about it is at, at Google, we're not looking for people who are hardcore. This is what, you know, this is everything. You're an expert and you're deep in knowledge. We're so if I can equate that to sports, we're not looking for an MBA star, right? We're looking for an athlete. We want someone who can, sure, play a game of pickup basketball, but also can hop over and play sand volleyball in this in the summer. Because at Google, we realize that change is inevitable. So we want our people to be athletes so that we can actually put them in other positions if a position were to become not like not useful anymore. I used the example earlier of going from an on-premise data warehouse to in the cloud. We just made a lot of jobs irrelevant. So if those people were athletes, as I'm describing, they should be able to shift and pivot to a new role and still have the skills necessary as a base to learn that
0: role and be successful. It just resonates with my professional experiences, too, because I think back on it and it's like the best jobs I've had, Yeah, you had to enjoy maybe what you were doing on a day-to-day basis, or there was a certain aspect of that, but it really was about the people you were with, and you quickly discovered that you'd have a lot of responsibilities and you'd be doing different things on different days, some of them you enjoyed more than others, but if you were with the right group of people and the right team and everyone was moving in the right direction, that always felt to me like the most rewarding work environment and the type of work environment that I thought I would be able to make a difference in. Um, so no, it, it just, yeah, it, it it's interesting to, to hear even a a corporation the size of like Google trying to think about these kind of interpersonal dynamics, you know, like on a day-to-day basis, well, how's the male person going to operate? You know what I mean? With the, you know, clipboard person, it's, it's kind of interesting to think about, you know, one question that we like to ask kind of to maybe summarize all of this up, um, and, and lead into the end here is a little bit philosophical in nature. Um, But at this point in your life, I think you've had different positions, you've had different life experiences, been able to do a lot of cool things, I think. At this point in your life, what do you know for sure? Wow, that is a philosophical question. It's an Um, Oprah question, actually. It it is an Oprah question. I like it, though.
1: Um, I guess for me, what I know for sure is that there's always going to be another role um, Google is wonderful and I love working for Google. I might be there for 10 years, I might be there for 20 years, I might be there for one more year. Um, there's always going to be another role. Um, and meeting that with meeting that where you are and where it is, and just kind of accepting that as the future, is gonna help me overcome obstacles later in life. Maybe my job will turn out to be something or turn into something that I don't enjoy anymore. And thinking about, hey, there's always going to be another role for me available somewhere it helps me overcome that and say, you know what, let's shift my energy. Um, The other things that I know for sure is that family, friends, and your life is so much more important than what you do for work. Um, I travel a lot, I'm away from home a lot. I definitely wanna make sure that I'm taking advantage of every moment I have with my family when I'm home. Um, And while you're young and newly out of school, there's a tendency to get really into your career, and that's wonderful. You should be learning. You should be doing all of that. But don't forget that life is really short, and if you spend your entire 20s just focus on your career and not doing anything fun, you're going to look back and really regret that. So make sure you're focusing on your career, but also taking some time for you.
0: Um, Travis is someone who had quite a bit of fun in their 20s I'm going to say that that is great advice and I highly recommend it as well um, thank you so much for coming on our podcast and just kind of sharing your stories we like to bring on um, accomplished alumni from time to time just to kind of give an example of what you know our, our current students can shoot for and if they work hard hopefully they can achieve um, some of the things that you have so thank you so much for coming on thank you for having me Thank you for listening to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. Listening is 100% of the grades. So we hope you enjoyed the episode.